This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com. morning New Zealand and welcome to Neville Rides the Boundaries and I'm Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay and Arrow Radio Masterton. Our first guest this morning is Nick Cameron, a commercial seed breeder and agricultural seed producer. So let's hear more from Nick. Well, my guest this morning is Nick Cameron from Christchurch. Uh, what would we describe you as, Nick, a plant breeder? Cedar yep. or what? Yeah, uh, breeder, that's right. right. And you uh manager for or owner of crop mark seeds. Tell us a little bit more about them. And so I'm one of the uh, shareholders of, of crop mark seeds. Uh, and we're based, uh, head office is actually in Christchurch, but I'm actually based out at a place called Darfield inland. Oh, yep. Um, and the ownership is, is uh, a group of uh, staff plus uh, um, 26% ownership by Ravenstown, the fertiliser company. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's about eight or nine of us that are shareholders. We control the majority shareholding, obviously. Yeah. And uh, the company was uh, formed way back in, I think it was 1996, um, it's originally part of, uh, the, well, originally the Bailey Society, um, and then it was Cropmark New Zealand Limited, and the seed business was was part of that. And when it was the grain business was sold off to Pinecore Guinness, the staff bought um, bought the, the small, very small part of the seed business, which then became a sort of we became a breeding company. Um, we've only ever been a wholesale seed company. We don't retail. And we've been reliant on, uh, you know, companies that, that retail for us within New Zealand and Australia and other countries. So we've set up in Australia. Uh, we have some permanent staff there as well. Um, the, the staff there do some trial work as well as uh, sales. And we have, we do export a fair bit of our seed to places like South Africa, uh, South America, uh, Europe and so on. So... It's become they've become important parts of our business, and one of our sales managers, he's travelling quite regularly over to those countries. Well, two, actually two of them now. Um, in fact, I think one of them right now is in South America somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're always travelling, um, and it's I guess during COVID, it just proved to us how valuable it is to have our salespeople travel to those countries to set up markets, and and you know um, face-to-face contact seems to be pretty important, really. Um, so we deal in, in a range of products. Actually, we've, we've written a, um, a, a seed guide as an app for cell phones for Android and uh, iPhones, which is called the New Zealand Seed Guide, which is available on Google Play and the App Store. And that basically lists um, quite a lot of the products, or most of the products that we, we handle. Um, and the front page of the seed guide is a, um, a New Zealand map. It's divided into four four sections, Upper North Island, Lower 
North Island, Upper South Island and Lower South Island. And, and when you click on or tap on the regions, it'll take you to a second page where you can uh, pick the seed type you're interested in. It might be saying something like perennial grasses or it could be Italian ryegrass or hybrid ryegrass uh, annuals. And the bone grasses, uh, the different endophyte strains that are available in New Zealand. Uh, the herbs, which include plantain and chicory mainly, and then a whole range of legume species, and then fodder beet. Oh, yes, so about the uh, crop. Brassicas and cereals. Yeah. So, so the brassica one is probably quite important for us. We, we have a breeding program in brassicas as well as our grasses and clovers, and we have a, a brassica breeder here, who's uh, Matt Hicks, who's, who's doing a very good job in breeding a range of brassica species. Um, including kales and, and rapes, and more latterly some sweet material. Um, and that's all, you can find all that inside the app. Actually, I was going to mention inside the app too, you can pick the animal grazing type. So that, say, you picked horses and picked brassicas, it would tell you that you shouldn't really use brassicas for horses because they're toxic. So it's, it's oh, basically yes. it's a smart app. It, it, it also sorts the varieties based on endophyte type if you pick a perennial grass. So um, if you picked a deer or uh, some animal that, that that needed a slightly less, less toxic endophyte, it would sort the varieties out on that basis. Um, and if you pick a low summer rainfall, it'll it'll provide you with different varieties of coxfoot and uh, tall fescue. Um, so it's basically rather than just an information app, it, it, it's a, it's a smart app that that lists all the varieties in New Zealand that are available commercially by all the companies actually. Um, the only advantage of crop markets is being, being able to sort of um, promote the company within the app, I suppose, a little bit. Um, we've put some various tools inside it as well. So if you go to Braskers, there's some measurement tools for measuring yield of fodder beet or kale or rape or whatever or turnips um, that farmers can use to, to assess the yield of their paddock. There's also a crop allocation calculator inside it that allows you to measure your break size for the next day's feed and some other bits and pieces. And in the cereal section, there's a sowing rate calculator for working out the sowing rate based on germ and 1,000 gram weight for wheat and barley. Now, um, Nick, just to digress a tad here, Summer, I don't know who listens to this program, but I always say I'll make farming easy for dummies. <laughs> now, there's a difference in seasons between the North Island and the South Island, because I've come across a lot of that dealing with groundswell. Mm. Yeah, so the Upper North Island, if we look at the map on the app, um, we basically have to provide uh, in the grass, in the case of perennial grasses and hybrid grasses, we have to provide uh, endophyte strains that will tolerate those insects that are prevalent up in, you know, above Taupo. So yeah. things like black beetle, uh, where we don't get them down here. Uh, and in fact, in Southland, you can virtually, you know, get away with using a, a low or nil endophyte grass um, without too much, too many problems or persistency. But if you did the same thing up in, say, the Waikato, you'd be hammered. So um, we we have been, or Cropmark have a fairly intensive endophyte development program. Um, we don't really breed them; we select them, and we have our own uh, sort of DNA. Methods of isolating, uh, well, um, uh, working out which which strains are which. Uh, we use a technique called PCR analysis, uh, 
we do have a, a pretty useful lab where we've got an HPLC, a high-pressure liquid chromatography unit to measure the toxins that are produced by the endophytes. And we also have a gas chromatograph uh, machine or a chromatography machine that measures a compound called lolene that um, is uh, translocated into the root of the, the fescue species and that provides plant soil resistance to grass scrub and some underground feeding pests. So we've been spending the last 20-something years trying to get that stabilised into grass. Uh, it's been a little difficult, actually. Um, uh, and uh, we have a similar sort of program with the tall fescue endophytes as well. Uh, there are different species of um, endophyte, the Xenophyllum species, um, and they don't produce quite as much lowland as the meadow fescue types. And we've been doing a lot of hybridisation with ryegrass and meadow fescue over the years, um, and that's been a part of a big part of what I've been doing previously. We've, uh, we've got um, how much Sweet. how much Sorry. has the seed and your requirements changed over that period of time? Because you've been doing this for a damn long time now, Nick. Yeah. So when I first started work, I started work for a company called Arthur Yates, who were um, really the first private private company to really get involved in grass weeding. And um, unbeknownst to us, the product that that was released early on, well, two two products really, one called Allot Ryegrass, which was really developed by Trevor Allot, um, which we just basically marketed. We did a bit of selection work out of it and produced varieties like Yats and One and other um, varieties. And unbeknownst us, in the early days, we didn't realise that uh, those products were full of a feral endophyte, a toxic endophyte, uh, which... Um, produced alkaloids known as ergovalene or lodotrim B that, that were quite toxic to to horses particularly and, and of course, you know, problems in sheep and cattle as well, staggers and heat stress and so on. So they were also providing some tolerance to insects, of course, and that's why they were there, I suppose, to, you know, allow the grass to persist. But as time's gone on, um, the companies and the government breeders have been working pretty hard to try and develop what we call novel endophytes that are a little bit safer to animals but still provide some reasonable tolerance to a range of insects. Um, and it's not been easy, I've got to say. The, to the novel endophytes don't tend to be all as, as stable in the seed lines as, as say, a feral endophyte. Um, so the companies have to spend a fair bit of extra time trying to develop storage methods and um, usually cool store and low humidity to try and um, st uh, keep the endophyte intact um, before it's done by the farmer. When I retired from milking cows, Nick, uh, <laughs> living next door to a bloke that was running a spraying operation, and that was quite an eye-opener too for the different uh, bugs, I suppose you could say, and uh, other well, you're talking about what were some endophytes and all those lemon things. Some are harmful and some weren't. Mm, mm. And the same so, with the crops as well. Yeah. It, it's certainly changed the nature of the breeding work that we do. Um, and to a degree, it's it's made it way, way more difficult as, as a plant breeder to deal with it, really. 
Um, some other crops like Coxford, we haven't really had to, or grasses, we haven't really had to deal with endophyte issues um, at, at this stage anyway. Um, actually, in China, they have a, um, a barley endophyte that, that's of interest here. It's, a, it's from a wild barley, Horium uh, brevis subulatum, and that uh, has been brought over, I think, plant and food have, have that um, endophyte, and they're developing it into you know, commercial barley. Um, and when I was in Langchow, at the top of China at one stage, I saw the, the difference between an endophyte containing barley and, and a nil was, was really dramatic. It was actually um, death versus, you know, green leaf. Yeah. So the endophytes have a pretty valuable role, really, in, in helping the plant survive uh, insect attack and, and um, you know, to persist. Yeah, um, all I was thinking, Nick... What is the uh, production of some of these grasses in different places around the globe, I would say? Sorry, I missed that one, Neville. What was well, that? Well, I mean, you're talking extensively here, Nick. How does New Zealand's growth compare with other parts of the world, or put it that way? Or grass breeding, or just... Yeah, well, any of them, I think that would yeah. be an interesting point, because I yeah. watched a debate last night about farming in New Zealand, and I sort of thought, well, let's see how it relates. I, I think, uh, in terms of endophyte development, the, the, the government here, the, um, what was formerly the DSI and, you know, now AgResearch, they've been uh, leading the field, really, for a long time in endophyte development. There's other operators internationally that doing some pretty good work. Noble Foundation comes to mind in Oklahoma. Uh, but that's, that was, until recently, headed by a New Zealander anyway, uh, Carolyn Young, who um, started off at Massey uh, and uh, been doing some pretty exciting work there. Um, probably in America, a lot of the work has been centred more on tall fescue being to fight rather than ryegrass, to be fair to say, I think, um, as it's probably a, a fairly major crop there. Uh, but I think really they've had a lot of help from the New Zealand operators or New Zealand researchers, you know, uh, in terms of that development, really. Um, the other thing that's going on is there's been a fair bit of work done by uh, AgriSearch in terms of HME, high uh, metabolized energy grass work, uh, which has been co-funded by some of the companies. Um, unfortunately, we're not really in, that involved in that, but we'd like to... We, would have liked to have been. Um, but that looks quite exciting. I think high lipid um, grass and, uh, yeah, I mean, those are leading the way, really, in that, in that area too, internationally, I mean. Yeah, because um, now I'll just divert a little bit here, Nick. I understand that New Zealand grows the, uh, or produces the world's carrot seed. Is that correct or not? Carrot seed? Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a company down here uh, called South Pacific Seeds, that probably uh, based in Methven, who probably are the, uh, doing a lot of it. There's some other companies here also doing it, but uh, it's very intensive. A lot of it's uh, hybrid production, so they have like two males, two rows of males, and then say five or six rows of female. See these where they have to you know, wait for the pollination of the male rose to pollinate the female rose and then cut the males out before harvest. So, um, And a lot of that's netted, so you'll see huge years in Canterbury where they've put bird net over the, over the female rose once the males have been cut out. 
Um, it's a pretty major operation, really, um, to protect the seed from bird damage. Um, and uh, there's a lot of other intensive um, small crop, or what we call small seed production, done, here, done down here in vegetable seed as well. Uh, red beet comes to mind. You see a fair bit of that around the, the district here. Um, and the reason they do it is it's much more high value than, say, just traditional, you know, wheat and barley crop cropping that would have been done in the well, still done, but been done more so in the past. Well, many thanks for your very interesting interview this morning, Nick Cameron. Now, let's listen to Philip Duncan talking about the weather and please try to understand that the question I've asked Philip is why New Zealand and Australia is closer to the sun at this time of the year, which explains why New Zealand has much higher UV levels than the rest of the world, hence more skin cancers. So slip, slop, slap, avoid skin cancer and don't forget to cover up as well. Good morning, Philip Duncan. I see that El Nino is officially here. Is that going to make everybody happy? Well, that's a very good question. Um, it, it'll make some people happy for a time. Um, El Nino is one of those things that, you know, it's, it's not a good thing to have it around for too long because it does make for an extra dry, hot summer. And so right now in spring, it's hard to kind of feel it because spring and El Nino have an almost identical weather pattern. It's windy. Um, it's yeah. full of uh, rain events coming out of Australia. And it tends to be a little bit warmer than average, although it, it gets mixed up with some colder weather. So that sounds just like spring. And so it's hard to tell right now. But what it does do is it, it, it sort of puts the screws on spring a bit more, makes it a little bit stronger, a little bit windier, a little more dramatic. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. The other thing that El Nino does, it's um, warm air flows out of Australia. So that's why we can have a southwester that's really cold with snow one day, and then a couple of days later, we've got a nor'wester from Alice Springs. And I just did an update, a video update for Australia, and Alice Springs is heading to 40 degrees over the coming week. And that airflow by next week comes into New Zealand. Not to say we'll be anywhere near 40, but just it just shows you that we're into this very spring-like pattern where it is warm one day, cold the next. And so for, for those in Waikato, for example, on the western side, Taranaki, um, El Nino spring can be kind of average. You know, plenty of showers, lots of uh, days where it's windy. But the eastern side of the country gets to finally dry out. The problem is they can dry out too much, and that's that's always the concern. Now, Philip, you've done one on your UV levels that was on uh, YouTube. I tried to make sense out of it, but un- how do we put it, Philip? The Earth is on a tilt. It rotates around the sun, and New Zealand and Australia become closer to the sun. Could you explain that to everybody, please? Yeah, it's a little hard to explain without physically being able to show people, but planet Earth has a has a lean, has a tilt on it, about 23 degrees it leans. So our North Pole and South Pole don't point straight north and south. And this the, the North Pole points out to outer space. So if you imagine as the, as the Earth goes around the sun over 365 days, the entire time it does that, it is nodding its head towards one direction out in space. That means that as it circles around the sun, the sun angle changes on the planet because we're always looking out in this other direction. But 
here on Earth, it feels like the sun is moving around us, which, of course, it's not. We're moving around the sun. But because we have this lean, as we go around the sun, that angle of light changes. And even if I've lost you with this, what I'm saying, what happens is it means that the southern hemisphere faces more towards the sun over the next six months. And we have longer days, more sunlight, and our UV rays go up because we've got much more sunlight and obviously we're a bit closer to the sun. Um, so that, that's basically what we have. It always points in the same direction, although to confuse you even more, every uh, 26,000 years, that, uh, that, that point actually moves around like a spinning top wobbles. That, that's something we don't have to worry about because we don't live that long. So we only have to worry about knowing that it points in one direction. And so as the Earth moves around the sun, our, our sunlight changes, and if we didn't have that tilt, our temperatures and rainfall would be identical all year round. We'd have no seasons. Uh, I think we could say that's well explained, Philip, and I can always replay that to any politician I want to get on board with UV levels and uh, melanoma. So well done. I think exactly. For that, Philip. They're moderate levels already, UV, moderate, moderate to high. So pretend we're in summer already, even if the heat's not there, the, the UV rays are. So we're already matching what England and France would get in the middle of summer. We're getting that now in the start of spring as far as UV rays are concerned. Thank you, Philip. Barbara Kuriger speaks to us from her car on her way to watch the ABs play Italy at a rugby club in her electric. Well, it's rugby on again today, and Barbara's doing us a quick show. Good morning, Barbara. Yeah, good morning, Neville. Yeah, look, I'm on the way to watch uh, Italy and the All Blacks, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good result by the time uh, your listeners uh, hear this um, uh, recording from this morning. Uh, the All Blacks really need to step it up at this point in time if they're going to hang in there. Uh, not very often uh, All Blacks don't make it through this phase of the rugby, but you know, rugby's been an interesting character lately with Australia having such a terrible loss the other day. The All Blacks have had a record loss to South Africa this year, and rugby seems to have turned on its head. And so, you know, there's one big contest going on at the moment. We've had uh, another contest with the Warriors where for the first time in a long time New Zealand's been able to get behind the Warriors and the whole you know, up the wilds scenario <laughs> that's been um, bringing New Zealand together it's, it's, it's fantastic to have all this sport going on and you know a contest and, and actually keeping it fun and people being able to celebrate and I guess there's another big contest going on around New Zealand at the moment that everyone's aware of called the general election uh, and I think um you know, sometimes I wonder, Neville, if we should have red cards and yellow cards uh, issued um, around politics as well because I've seen a couple of um, not very pleasant uh, incidents have happened this week and certainly one happened at one of our own meetings where one of my uh, the other candidates in my electorate had a bit of a, a rough experience and um, we've also seen some news reporting out um, in the last few hours about a candidate uh, further up north who's uh, had her home invaded and I just think that that's uh, taking politics to a really stupid level. Um, I think it's uh, time we kept the personal attacks out of politics. It's time we all talk to each other sensibly about what the policies are uh, and that's what we tend to do in my electorate we uh, we tend to link arms as candidates 
and uh, say we're going to support each other because we live in a democracy and uh, we can have different views, we can have different policies, uh, we can be on different sides of, of various debates, but at the same time we need to treat each other like people. And I uh, think uh, the more that politicians behave, uh, the more the public will be expected to behave. And so I think it's time we actually started cleaning the act up a bit. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's been a big week. Been out and about, had lots of meetings, uh, lots of discussions, as you can imagine. And uh, just for the interest of your listeners, when there was sixty three days to go to the election, I put sixty three jelly beans in a bag. And um, every morning I get up and I have another jelly bean. Put my hand in the bag. Don't look to see what colour it is. Um, just pull it out and take what chance. And I know when the bag's getting empty, uh, and there's only 14 in there at the current time. Uh, as the bag gets empty, I know we're getting close to the election. So, um, so yeah, there's, um, there's, it's been a very busy time uh, for many people. But um, you know, the the country will come to uh, to take the votes, which start next week, uh, and there'll be a result. And it's up to us to all be at and get on with whatever result that we delivered because um, we are lucky when we look at some of the things that are going on around the world, um, wars and, and, you know, uh, politics driven by money in some countries and the corruption of some places, um, actually having an election which is, um, you know, run on a democratic basis is a real privilege for a country like ours. We should be grateful for it and um, and we should get on with it. So, and uh, yeah, so um, onwards and upwards, Neville, and that's about it from me today. Oh, well done. Thank you, Barbara. And let's go out with a song about the groundswell man, because if you're like me, I've been following the groundswell drive for change where Bryce McKenzie and Laurie Patterson have driven from Invercargill all the way up to Auckland and over the Harbour Bridge. Well, that's me for the week. See you next week. Ka kitty and all. Check the mail each day on his motorbike Wrap around sonnies and a patient wife Fifty cc's throbbing at the knee And the needle on the speedo he can't see Cause I didn't care Never raised a hair as he sped on by On his morning ride Singing to the sky and birds that couldn't fly With an attitude that he's never gonna die Check the letterbox Paper where it's dropped He's an old cocky on a dry hill block Wears his rugby socks Loves his chicken flock Works all day with his yard cold spot He's a groundswell man You gotta understand He loves his stock and his piece of land Made of stern stuff You better measure up He's just trying to tell you that he's had enough Twist of fate Running late, his gumboot stuck in a barbed wire gate Like a runner being caught in between A concrete post and his dream machine Well, he never made a sound till he hit the ground His bike long gone in the duck shoot pond Broke a river too, there was nothing else to do He went and bought another bright red brand new He's a groundswell man Gotta understand, he loves his stock and his piece of land. Made a stand stop, you better measure up. He's just trying to tell you that he's had enough. He's a groundswell man, you gotta understand.
stand, he loves his stock and his piece of land. Made a stand, stop, you better measure up. He's just trying to tell you that he's had enough. Just trying to tell you that he's had enough. Just trying to tell you that he's had enough. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.